Hello and welcome to Gamification Unlocked, a show about real games and how we can use their techniques for learning and change. I'm Brandon Carper, a training designer. And I'm Chad Hayfley. I do user experience on the web and in libraries. And this week we're continuing our multi-part series on Papers, Please. So last week we talked about the instructional aspects of the game, and this week we're talking more about the user interface design. So, uh, Chad, take it away. One of the things I spent a lot of time thinking about with this game is the fact that it really, if you step back at it and look at it from the right angle, it, from a user experience perspective, it is awful <laughs> at almost everything that it makes you do. Um, I mean, look, it's a cramped and crowded user interface, and that which totally plays into the tone of playing the game. I get why they chose that, uh, that it, they wanted to represent this kind of overbearing governmental influence on everything. Um, but in other venues, that would kind of be a disaster. Uh, but here it was a fair choice. The game would be very different, though, if um, if you had like a whole you know massive studio to lay your documents out in and cross-reference at will. Um, they put really interesting constraints and choices on the experience they created. And it like it's almost a checklist of what not to do when designing, <laughs> not a game, but anything in general. I mean, so I think we've talked before about cognitive load, the idea that you can only ask people to do so many things at at any one time without making them kind of shut down, whereas this game is all about maximizing the cognitive load. It's like, how many things can you remember at any one time? You've got the list of um, you know passport origins that are valid versus invalid, um, which at one point I ended up writing down on post-it notes and sticking to the side of the screen. <laughs> that was my <laughs> my hack to get around it. Was creating my own reference materials. Um, yeah, I know online you can I think just print out a list of all the the stuff in the reference book, but I I feel like kind of was it like a template that fits around? Yeah, I think it kind of defeats the purpose of the game to some extent though. Mm-hmm. It does, and eventually I stopped myself. Like I wanted to kind of array <laughs> post-it notes around my monitor uh-huh. in like a, a lion's mane, but uh, I think I restricted myself to just a couple of them as a memory augmentation. Uh, and, you know, ev- everything you read about user experience is present few choices to people. This presents well. I guess ultimately there's only a couple of possible outcomes, but there's a lot of choices of the paths that you can take to get there. Um, when you're cross-referencing a dozen different things. Uh, good user experience will limit distractions. I would not say that this game limits distractions in a lot of ways. Uh, I found myself very distracted by trying to watch for a terrorist jumping the wall and just weird things in the documents. It's like every document distracted me from another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Or sometimes when it does follow good UX principles, it does it too much. So in general, you want to group related objects near each other in an interface. Well, everything in this game is near each other that is related <laughs> just because everything in the game is near each other <laughs> because you have no other option for, for spreading things out. There's very little visual hierarchy to things. You know, the documents are dumped in a pile on your desk and you have to shuffle them around yourself and see how how you can array them to best look at things. You are supposed to, in a good interface, have signposts and clues which are, you know, like shortcuts and things that help clue you in and, and jump around and be more efficient. And Papers, Please has them, but only once you unlock them, really. Like at one point, you can pay money to add bookmarks to your yeah. book. <laughs> Did you take advantage of that one? Oh, yeah. I I, uh, I fed my money back into the government machine every chance I got. <laughs> yeah, turn off the heat. I need bookmarks. <laughs> yeah, you, you can add bookmarks to your book. You can um, add keyboard shortcuts. So things like doing your stamps faster and initiating the the scan mode. 
Um, and overall, like, you know, the whole game is there, you are a person doing what in our modern world would be a very computerized job of scanning the documents and cross-referencing them against each other. And the game would not work at all if it was set in, in that other realm of having computers do it. And at one point, one of the characters coming through, one of the people you're, you're checking, says he's, he's from another country that computerized this process. <laughs> and so now he's come here to try to regain his former career, which I thought was kind of a fascinating <laughs> meta take. And he's like, yeah, it's terrible. I missed the stamps. <laughs> which I totally, I think, would relate to. Um, and you, going back to the keyboard shortcut issue, so normally you would design for power users. Like, imagine if Photoshop required you to unlock the keyboard shortcuts as as you're going through you know i kind of wish to some extent it did <laughs> oh that there was more structure because to it. oh my god photoshop just drops you into the the huge ocean of everything you can ever do to an image and it's really hard to orient yourself at least it was for me that's a really good point actually and i might revise my opinion on this one that maybe photoshop could use a little bit more papers please in its design language uh, are you listening adobe and another thing which I wasn't able to test out myself because we should know there is an iPad version of the game that exists that may or may not be different. I'm not sure because it's broken at the moment. Uh, you can't play it on the current version of iOS, though the developers are working on fixing it. But from what I read, unlocking the multi-touch feature is something you have to pay for. Oh. So multi, multi-touch multi is on an iPad where you can touch more than one thing at a time. So I'm, I'm assuming that multi-touch in this game would be the ability to like move two documents at the same time with two different fingers mm-hmm. and things like that, mm-hmm. which is apparently something you have to unlock on by paying money. And not real money, but you know the in-game Arstoka bucks. Although if it were a paid <laughs> in, in-game purchase, yeah. that would be funny. <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. What if, what if this game had actual microtransactions on it and you could... Oh, that would be fascinating. You could pay real dollars to get your kid medicine for the day. Yeah, <laughs> to get your fake kid fake medicine. Yep. But so, I mean, I've run down this checklist of things where if I was designing a website that did all of these things that poorly, like it would be a complete and total failure um, given a normal kind of information seeking behavior and trying to communicate things to people. And so I spent a lot of time trying to think about why this actually works as a game um why it it makes some kind of sense and does hold together and the the thing i came to and i'll link to this article from ux magazine about how to use friction for um better user experience in games and i really think papers please does a great job of both kind of minimizing and maximizing the friction you experience in the game at the right points so there's the the whole game is really the constraints in the ui i think i said earlier if you had enough space to look at all of these documents at the same time, it really wouldn't be that much of a game. It would be that job you had where you were cross-referencing a couple of documents <laughs> against each other. Um, but instead, you have to kind of make these moral choices in a fast-paced environment where you don't have um, a sort of a total information view of what's going on. You know all the information is there, if only you had the time to get in and um, and look at it. And so all of the difficulty of the game comes from those user interface choices and the fact that it is a game at all. And I started thinking about other games that I think have annoying user interfaces and why they are less successful. Uh, and I'll, I'll probably talk about this more later, but the ori- did you play the original Mass Effect? Uh, yes. I know where you're going Do with Do you this. remember? <laughs> are, are you thinking inventory management? You know, it was 10 years ago, but I can remember it like it was yesterday, getting like the 16th gun that looked like all my other guns and had the same exact name. And 
it being yep. awful. <laughs> yeah, and there were no sorting options. Yes. There were no ways to, like, shortcuts, like, show me only the guns or show me only the armor. And by the end of the game, I can't remember how many things you could carry, but it was, what you say, hundreds, probably? Uh, way too many. Way more than any human could ever hope to carry. <laughs> yeah, it got to the point where I would lose things in the inventory. <laughs> and, and like, I, I knew I had this perfect thing for the perfect opportunity, but I just couldn't get to it. Um, do any other games come to mind that have particularly annoying interfaces for you? You know, I think inventory is, I think, uh, we could probably do a whole episode about that. Right. I mean, especially if you play, uh, role-playing games where, you know, you're upgrading your equipment on a regular basis. Like, I'm just astonished how many games in the year of our Lord 2016 don't compare the attack value of the weapon you have with the attack value of the weapon you want to buy. So you're you're in the shop and okay, this sword is attack power 212. Let me close the shop and then go to what I have equipped. Okay, my sword's only attack value 202. Oh, but this sword that I have has frost damage. What about, and you go back and forth like 16 times and it's also the worst thing in the world. (laughs) Which, you know, if you replace some of those words with papers, please words, it sounds exactly like (laughs) papers, please, I think. Yeah. So it's like they took a terrible small part of every other game and blew it up into a whole game by itself. (laughs) And somehow it kind of works. Like when you've acknowledged that those are the constraints you're working with and that that's where the game derives from. Like it's not a small feature of a game. It's not keeping you from doing other things. It it is the whole reason for playing the game, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So you had a question here of why that, why that works in papers, please, instead of (laughs) all these other games. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that I have a firm answer to that other than, um, that they do such a good job of being terrible. I guess that maybe because it's intentionally terrible, that they made sure that uh, it has the trappings of being terrible while still leaving paths to success. Maybe. Yeah, I think, you know, I think part of it is the 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 meaning that the game puts behind it, you know. So, in mm-hmm. papers, please, you're doing this really menial awful task, but, you know, you have people's lives in your hands. So, you know, the game sets up this awful UI as, you know, the reason for being as a game, whereas Mass Effect, the reason you're your commander Shepard is because you gotta stop aliens from destroying the world, and when you're in your inventory, you just wish you could get back to stopping aliens from destroying your world. You know, it's an annoyance. It's not an end in itself. Yeah, like hold on, don't set that bomb off. I've got to go shuffle around in this menu for half an hour. I'll be back. Although I, <laughs> you, I, I was reading over you know your your show notes, and I wondered what if what if there was a game where you played some type of of gremlin or droid, and your entire reason for being was organizing you know, some protagonists invent- oh, wow. inventory okay. of guns to make sure that he had the right gun at hand when he fought the, <laughs> the alien. Oh bombs. my God. Why does that game not exist? I want to play that game now. You're a genius. I would totally sign up for that. Wow. Okay. You just blew my mind. Uh, you're um, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, but another, another reason I think that, that papers please actually kind of makes this work is that so they, they've got that friction in the user in the um the user interface everything is very bumping up against each other almost literally uh, but they take away friction in a lot of other ways so like it's very easy to explore alternate paths through the game it has a really interesting save game manager where if you want to jump back in time a couple days and explore another option you can and you kind of get these branching mm-hmm. paths that you can go through so failure is really not 
extraordinarily punished. You don't have to go back and start all the way over again. That's true. Although, do you feel you can dig yourself in a hole just gradually through lack of money? Yeah, probably. Mm. But most of the time, my holes got very, oh. very fast. <laughs> they, were, they were very good hole diggers. They were not. <laughs> yes, they, they were more the result of um, a poorly timed series of decisions all at once rather than any kind of systemic pattern. <laughs> so I found myself very appreciative of the ability to just jump back one day and do it again rather than have to start. Because if each day takes, you know, five to ten minutes, I think depending on which path you take through the game, there's up to 31 days, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you could conceivably be looking at uh, math. What is that, like six hours of gameplay? Mm. Probably. Sure, we'll go with that. More or less. Yeah, okay, rounding something. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, imagine if you were at five and a half hours and all of a sudden had to start all over again because you ran out of money at that point or got an ending that you were not aiming for. Uh, they make it very easy to, to go back and explore those other paths with no friction, which is an interesting contrast to the way everything else in the game is very frictional. That's interesting. Uh, and some of this we talked about earlier, you know, how it, it does build up slowly. So there's friction, but they're not dropping you into it all at once. You know, they do the onboarding very well and the things that you talked about before. And I thought the element of uncertainty was also huge. That, like, when exactly will the timer run out? You don't have a digital clock that's counting down. It's this kind of, um, I guess, an, an analog clock down in the corner, which you can kind of get an idea of when the start of your day is and when the end is. But if you're just glancing at it in the middle of checking all the other documents, um, you don't necessarily know, like, oh, I've only got six seconds left. I'd better get this guy through. You kind of get a little flashing warning when you're low on time, but not. you never know exactly how much you have left. Yeah, and if you, I think if you look at it very closely, you can kind of tell if the hour hand has one more trip around the block to go. But I mean... Yeah, but who's got time yeah, for that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't want to waste... You've got papers to You stamp. don't want to waste the time looking at the time when you could be stamping papers. So that's another place where they put friction in, I felt like, on purpose, just by an analog clock instead of a digital, that it, the information is there but it's harder to get to and also adds to the gameplay itself. And ultimately, there's really almost no abstractions in the interface design. Like, it, it's very immersive, and I think what I mean by abstractions is, so like in No Man's Sky, a sci-fi game where you're flying around the galaxy, and when you come across a computer you want to hack, it makes you solve a math problem, and that's how it represents hacking something. And it's not even a hard math problem, it's basically a little pattern recognition kind of thing uh so there's no way that that is actually representative <laughs> of what your character is doing in the game mm -hmm. whereas in papers please i compare documents and people's faces by comparing documents and people's faces and actually looking at them next to each other and i'll come back to this later but i i thought it was really interesting that they did almost purposely didn't put any of that friction in narratively that what you do in the game is what your character does. You are accomplishing the task without any level of removal or mm -hmm. abstraction between what it says you're doing and what you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then I started to wonder, so they've established this precarious balance of friction in the way that it's built and, you know, an objectively terrible interface that has, you know, a narrative driving it and, and other tricks that, that make it work. And what would it take to break that? What would it take to upend it like how close were they to a game that was terrible um did you try endless mode at all no it didn't it didn't appeal to me endless modes usually usually yeah. don't yeah so endless mode pretty much has no story to it so that narrative push is mm -hmm. gone 
It's just you keep processing people day after day and see how long you can survive before you run out of money. And that did not appeal to me at all either. And so removing that constraint, that friction they put in of the narrative and, and the the, um, the different paths you could take through, I think would totally have destroyed the game. Do you know, does it get more challenging as it as it goes on or? Only in that, in the same way the main game is mm-hmm. where, I mean, there aren't more document comparisons to make, but, you know, your your budget is still a struggle to meet and gets harder and harder and each mistake gets magnified as you go. So you've got a longer stretch of days for problems to emerge in your your finances, I guess. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the odds are you're going to hit some kind of bump eventually. Hmm. I guess it doesn't save your progress as you go through endless mode, maybe. That's a good question. I didn't think to huh. look at, at that detail. Um, but it may not... Yeah, I don't know how, how they would, because there's no way you could explore all those infinite branches of of everything anyway yeah so if there's conclusions and takeaways from this it's i think friction is a uh, force that can be used for good and evil in either game design or designing any kind of system really so like and you can apply different levels of friction in things work whereas friction forces you to slow down and examine your choices so there might be a time in your training in your um your sign-up process for a product or in your game where you want people to think very carefully about something and maybe you don't want them to blow past a choice too quickly and you you give that opportunity to kind of slowly consider what they're doing morally in this game before you're taking an action sometimes early in the game anyway like with the example referenced earlier of the wife coming through after the husband i didn't feel particularly time crunched on that one they they gave me some time to um because i wasn't cross-referencing six things yet it was pretty early in the the build-up. And later on, as that complexity ramps up, the, there's no longer any time for that reflection at all, and kind of your base desires start to take over, which made me think of uh, Maslow's hierarchy a little bit. Like, you know, as the game started, I was up at the peak of his triangle, looking at all these kind of self-actualization and, you know, moral decisions <laughs> and, and everything. And as the game went on, it was like, I need money for medicine. Oh, yeah. that's I, I need to keep the heat on. And so I felt myself kind of, like, descending down that pyramid as the friction increased in in the way the game was was built so you, you didn't you didn't care yeah. as much about reuniting uh separated couples as you did about just getting food yeah no my response to that moral dilemma on day 26 <laughs> would have been very different from the way it was was on day one and if there's another conclusion or takeaway it's just to see how like watch someone play papers please and you'll get a pretty good idea of how people respond to high levels of complexity and cognitive load <laughs> and then see the impact of that you know it works here it's it's clearly what the creators were going for uh but you may not want that elsewhere are you, are you going to integrate that into your uh interview process chad for your new positions <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm going to throw a pile of papers at someone and ask them if it makes coherent sense altogether. <laughs> and you have 30 seconds, but I'm not going to tell you exactly when the timer begins. And go. Well, as you're talking about friction, I was kind of reminded of something I read in, I think it was Jane McGonagall's book, Reality is Broken. I don't know if she was the the first person to mention this, but she says a game is basically a simple task with unnecessary obstacles. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's brilliant. So that's You have to get from point a to b but there's a lot of pits in the way (laughs) right right so taking soccer for an example your task is to put a ball in a net but done i got that now your obstacle is well you you can't touch it with your hands 
and then then the obstacle is well now there's 11 people in front of you that do not want you to put the ball into the net and then you yeah all of a sudden right it's a game yeah, and suddenly that's a game and that's how all games are made uh yeah neither here nor there but uh interesting connection i thought no that's fascinating mm-hmm. and kind of spitting off of thinking of friction i mentioned this a little bit but I started thinking a lot about the affordances of the interface. And here, once again, I'll quote Don Norman. I'll probably end up doing that every few episodes. Um, but he literally wrote the book on on user experience. And he defined affordances as the fundamental properties that determine just how a thing could possibly be used. So from looking at a cup, I know I can pick up that cup. I know it will hold a drink. I know I can probably sip things out of it. And there's cultural things built into that. If you've never seen a cup before, you don't grasp those affordances by looking at it. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things going on there. And I talked earlier about how the game doesn't have a lot of abstractions in the interface, and I think there's a lot of overlap here when you talk about affordances also. Now, to me, most interfaces, not just papers, please, but anything, would get really annoying if it looks like I can do more than I can in that interface. Um, so I get really annoyed I don't know if annoyed, but I get at least a little bit bothered. Like if I'm playing a some sort of first-person game and I wander around and there's all kinds of interesting stuff in the background, but when I get close to it, it's just a pixelated block <laughs> and I can't really look at it. Or Well, the, the, the worst is when you're playing a, a side-scrolling platformer and you can't tell what's a ledge versus what's a background <laughs> image. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. We've all been there. Yeah. So there are a lot of affordances and th- or things that I would expect the the interface elements in Papers, Please to do that I can't do, but that didn't annoy me somehow. And it struck an interesting balance with that. So you have everything is a piece of paper that you can um, treat like paper for the most part, but it's, it's not searchable. It can't be organized or searched like digital text. Uh, so, you know, at its root, the game is digital. It is text. In theory, there should be, could be constructed a command that lets me search through the text and shortcuts and things like that. But they decided not to implement that in the game um, because it is they clearly make these things look like actual paper. I didn't expect mm. that I would be able to digitally search them. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't presented on a screen. It was presented as pieces of paper that I could could move around. And they do there's some little touches like there's turn down corners in the book that indicate you can click on them to turn the page. Um, or flip a document over to see what's on the back. You can't flip every document, but the ones that you can all have that little turn-down corner to, to indicate the affordance of what you can do with it. And then there's the stamps. I think we talked about it before, how the stamps are fun. And using the stamp in the game is you click a mouse button down and your stamp goes down. Like There's a, there's a nice one-to-one reaction there of, of what it does. I think it would be a little bit different um, if in the... Well, I guess it would work in the touchscreen universe also where you're kind of touching the screen and pushing the stamp down mm-hmm. but I, I think they did a good job of implementing stamps in the game and they're just fun i like stamps <laughs> and do you, do you want to talk some more about stamps <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about my my stamp collecting habit um, but i only collect digital stamps from games about ars toka it's a very limited <laughs> collection um and the parts where i thought the game didn't make affordances as clear where maybe where it's, it started to feel a little bit more annoying to me. So there's a lever that you have to pull to open and close the shutter in your booth and you're just clicking a mouse to do that. And it didn't feel as tactilely satisfying to me as shuffling the papers around or, um, or, uh, or using the stamps and etc. Or there's the little bit of um, the loudspeaker thing you have to click on to tell the next person to come in. 
that was the one that felt the most abstracted to me. Like there, you don't poke a loudspeaker in real life. Mm-hmm. You would speak through something. And I, I don't know that I'm necessarily asking for like a voice interaction with the game where I would have to yell for the next person to come in. But I thought that was a place that maybe was a little rougher than than some of the others. So for the lever, would you have wanted like a more click and drag type interface for the lever? Yeah, maybe, especially because the lever was not used that often. Um, yeah, that's true. Or at least I didn't use it. So I feel like if it was a more complicated thing to do, it wouldn't have been been overly annoying. And But all of these things, the affordances that are baked into the objects in the game, they're um, none of them are really dependent on cultural context or your personal experiences with stuff. Like a piece of paper is a piece of paper. They're all very simple objects that people know how to how to use and work and move around. I mean, I think everyone has had the experience of shuffling papers around on a desk. There's there's a very clear analog to how you um, move those things. Ah, I made a pun. Oh, uh, analog good. paper. <laughs> yeah, I'll stop now. Uh, and so all of those things despite the other constraints on the interface that I think we talked about earlier, didn't really bug me that much, in part because they behaved exactly as those objects would in real life that I could move around. And the parts of the interface that I found myself getting annoyed with, what what was most annoying for you in the interface of tasks you had to accomplish? Well, do you mean, like, annoying as in I felt the game should have done it differently or annoying as in the game meant it to be annoying. And I agreed with it, that it was annoying. You know what I mean? Uh, where you thought the, where you thought the game should have done it differently, you know, given the con- the narrative context, et cetera. <sighs> you know, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, at, at first I was, I, I was thrown off by the, the end of day summary screens because <laughs> It's literally just text. You know, you, you never see pictures of your apartment. You don't see pictures of your family. You don't even see your family's names. You're, it's literally just kind of a, a spreadsheet <laughs> that, you, that you're managing yeah, at the end. And that, that that's one of the few truly abstracted interactions in the game, and it really pulled me out of it. So that, that threw me off a bit. You know, but I, I wonder if that made me insert myself more into the game by imagining my own family Mm. or if uh i'm just giving the creator a pass on something he did for budgetary reasons (laughs) yeah that's another possible but i mean the the graphics in this game are so simple i feel like it wouldn't have been that hard to give you a picture of your family that's true and i think at one point you get to see a framed photograph of your family. I forget when exactly it happens, but it that definitely doesn't happen oh. on a, a regular basis. Yeah. But but the things that annoyed me most in the game, I think we're dealing with the the keys to unlock the guns that you had to oh, use really? and then using the guns themselves. And part of that I think was just I got so used to the things in the game behaving like their real life mm-hmm. counterparts and having those affordances that the key you just kind of move it to the lock and then it it does its thing like you don't have to turn the key and i actually lost some time the first time i had to unlock the gun because i couldn't figure out how to turn the key because i assumed that was something i would have to do and then you know by that point the terrorist had exploded and i didn't get my bonus (laughs) so inconvenient again it was really inconvenient and after that i knew how the keys worked but that was was something where the game had kind of lulled me into this expectation that things would have the affordances they do in real life and then when something didn't it 
it pulled me right out of it. Well, that's a good point. You never, you don't get to practice using the key before you actually have to mm-hmm. use it, which is one of the very few things in this game where you don't get a, a chance to practice. I wonder if they made the key so simple because they didn't want you struggling with it while a guy was jumping the wall, but then they made it so different from everything else, which is so tactile that it became more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, they had the best intentions, but it, it may have backfired a little bit. And and then when you actually have to shoot with the gun, I know it's a simple point-and-click gun, like it's not nearly on the level of playing a first-person shooter mm-hmm. or et cetera, but I was really, really bad at it. <laughs> I don't know why that is. How many years um, of Halo did you play, Chad? <laughs> uh, not enough, apparently. I need to go back and study up. It's been a while. I'm out of practice. Um, yeah, and then you mentioned the status screen after each day. That that's has obviously no analog to reality. There, You don't point-and-click your way through well i guess now in the modern world we do point and click our way through paying our bills but in the the setting of the game it it wouldn't have made a lot of sense and the loudspeaker i mentioned and so that's where an interface starts to fall apart for me i think is when the objects being representative have those perceived affordances that aren't actually options like going back to again the the terrible inventory list in mass effect when i see a list of things like that my brain thinks, oh, this is like a spreadsheet. I can sort it. I can filter it. I, I can do things. So even digital objects, I think, tend to have those affordances. That then when they're not there, my brain says, ah, this is terrible. <laughs> or anytime there's um, a piece of software that I will leave nameless that I have to work with at work on a regular basis, and you can enter data into it, but if you ever have to edit that data, the only way to do it is to delete it and re-enter it. Oh, my God, it. really? And instead, yeah, which is, and it's a web, it's a web interface. Like there's no reason that they have any kind of realistic constraint that this should not be an option. So there are things I expect when I work with digital text, I expect to be able to edit it when it is the kind of thing that should be. Well, maybe the designers of the software wanted you to think more deeply about (laughs) why you wanted to edit (laughs) the file you just created. This was some friction that they very carefully (laughs) added into the process. Um, and other things I work with, then I started thinking about how you can build affordances into the design of things and the expectations. Um, and that I think it's important to remember that people bring these expectations from other interfaces, whether it's another interface in the thing that you've built or things they've experienced out, um, in, in their everyday life using other products. Have you ever used Zotero as a piece of software? I have not. It's a, it has the most thrilling kind of genre of software, a bibliographic management software. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, you're still awake somehow. Uh, uh, but, it, but it's to help you manage your citations as you do your research. Mm-hmm. And they, so they tried to implement a system, well, they did implement a system, where each article can be in more than one folder at the same time, which has the advantage then if you can edit it in one place and those edits show up in every folder, etc. And they dubbed that feature instead of folders and see i'm using the word folder because i'm getting confused they call it collections but the icon is still a folder Mm. and whenever i train people on how to use this piece of software they get very confused about how the folders function and the fact that they don't need to have multiple copies of everything so there's these affordances of how folders work in the digital world that that people have carried with them and was not taken into account in that design it's not just tagging what you're describing yeah, and it's it is tagging essentially, but they put a really weird interface on it mm. that puts a, makes you think there's affordances that it doesn't actually have. But it also has tags, which is a totally different interface feature. 
in there because that makes sense. Uh, and as a going back to another gaming example, so in No Man's Sky, which is on my mind because it's just on my mind. <laughs> it's if you follow Games Press at all, it has a lot of interesting commentary at the moment. But it, there's a lot of inventory management in it also, and some items you can put 500 of them in one inventory slot. <laughs> Other items, you can only put one item in an in inventory slot, and you have very limited inventory slots, and it, these items are not narratively very large. There is no reason you would expect they take up the same space as 500 of something else, and that drives me crazy. Have you ever played a game where your backpack is a, is basically a grid, and the, the shape of the item will determine what squares in the grid it, it takes up? I can't think of a game, but I know I have played one like that. Uh, I think it was Betrayal at Crondor, which is a really old PC game based on fantasy novels by Raymond Feist. But yeah, if you got a sword, it took up a vertical space in your bag. And if you got like an amulet, it was just a small circular space. So you have to like play Tetris to manage your inventory. Yeah, which I don't know how much it added to my experience as a wizard in a high fantasy world to be playing tetris in my yeah. bag but there it was <laughs> <laughs> such so so it was and so it shall be uh, so i could ramble on about this for ages but i think if there's you know takeaways and lessons learned from the way the affordances are handled in papers please it's that if a thing looks like it can do something it better do that thing in whatever kind of interface you're designing that that's the expectations people are going to bring to it. And it sounds obvious and stupid to put it that way. Um, but I think we've both seen examples here of where that is not always. Well, I think it's a good point to take into heart. It's a good point to bring up that digital things are starting to have affordances as well. Like when you see a list in digital mm-hmm. format, you expect to be able to to sort it and, and filter it sometimes just because you've seen other lists like that in your, your life as a computer user. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you build up your own little kind of culture and background of of how you expect things would work. But then I also started to wonder, what's the logical extension of having affordances 100% match what you are simulating? And the thing that comes to mind instantly, I guess, is virtual reality. And then I wondered what Papers, Please would be like in virtual reality. (laughs) I think it might translate pretty well. I feel like that would be a good uh, early project for our VR pioneers to take on. Yeah. But then there's the other side of it where you can go crazy in establishing all of your affordances in reality. Did you ever play Steel Battalion for the Xbox? No. It was a mech game where you're driving around a giant robot. And if you were driving a real giant robot, you would expect to have a lot of buttons involved in driving that Mm -hmm. robot, perhaps more than are represented on a physical controller that you can hold in your hands. So they released a controller that had 40 buttons on it. Oh, okay. And was designed to designed to look like a cockpit it was kind of this semi-circular thing that you would put in front of you as you played um and it actually from reviews seemed to work pretty well like in the same way papers please feels rewarding when you kind of master all of the the buttons and and what they do but then later they tried to make a connect version of it where instead of putting a physical controller with 40 buttons in front of you it used the connect camera on the xbox to watch you push virtual buttons and it did not work nearly as well. There's a hilarious YouTube video I will link to of someone trying to play this game <laughs> on Connect and basically yelling at the screen, no, don't grab that, grab that, <laughs> as they tried to flail around aimlessly in their living room. So when you took away the physical buttons, like it turned out that was the core part of the experience. It was ridiculous to have a 40-button controller, but if you're going to do it, like 
go all the way. <laughs> yeah, and we could probably do a whole episode on connect and the the virtues or the the lack thereof of of turning a, a simple binary input like a, a button press into something that is now so extremely more complicated <laughs> for yeah. the sake of from immersion. The, from the playthrough, I saw the only time the motion tracking worked well was when you have to shake a hand with another character. Like that that was the high point of interaction with the game. Ah. I, the the, the yeah. human connection. <laughs> like you have to catch an apple, so that's that's hooray. Then go drive your robot. Well, I think that's gonna do it for us. So this has been part two of our multi-part series on Papers Please, examining the <laughs> the user interface and the the affordances of the game. Yeah, if you told me three years ago that I would talk this long about this game, I would have said you're crazy. But there's a lot to dig into. <laughs> yeah, and during our next installment, we'll talk more about the moral choices and the, the emotional effect of the game. Uh, in the meantime, you've been listening to Gamification Unlocked. I'm Brandon Carper. I'm Chad Hafley. Please rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can find us on Twitter at Unlocking Games and on the web at unlockinggames.com. If you have a minute, feel free to send us a tweet or leave us a comment letting us know what you thought of the episode. And until next time, it's your move.